All right. Welcome to another episode of Catholic Mindset, where we create Catholic content for Catholics. Today we have, today we welcome Father Pierre Giorgio Pacelli. He is the managing editor at the Institute of Carmelite Studies Publications. Today we're going to get to know them and their mission. Father, how are you doing today? Oh, I'm doing great. And you? Doing good. Thank you for joining us. Yeah, my pleasure. I'd like to ask uh, all our guests to lead us in prayer. Would you mind? Sure. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Father, come into our hearts. Help us to desire what you desire. Clean away all of the areas of our life that is not pleasing to you so that we be better disposed and more empty to receive graces that you desire for us so that we can come to the completion that you have in mind for us which is union with you in heaven and help us to do this through the inspiration of your saints. They pray for us, pray for all those who are listening and uh, give us and obtain for us many graces all through the intercession of our lady and all in union with Jesus Christ, your son. In the name of the father and of the son and of the Holy spirit. Amen. Thank you. And uh, we do have an icebreaker question here on the show that we'd like to ask our guests. Yeah, yeah. And the question is, what does your heart desire the most? Okay, so I guess the, the, it's, a, it's a difficult question, and I'm going to answer it with a big, big, oh, with a big answer, which is uh, the, it, it, probably the same thing that uh, our foundress, the foundress of the Discalced Carmelite Order, St. Teresa of Avila, would, would say, and that's friendship with God. That's what I desire. I want to be friends with God. And uh, like all relationships, that requires uh, things on my part um, in, order to, in order to make that possible. And so my desires have to be uh, accompanied by my efforts to grow in holiness and through God's grace, ultimately, because friendship with God is ultimately a, a gift too. So pure grace. Uh, but that's what I desire. I, I like to think that God is bringing me uh, along that path towards more f greater friendship with him, right? Amen. Amen. Friendship with God. I like it. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's great. So let's, let's unpack a little bit of, of the Institute, right? Because you are the publication side of the Institute, the Institute of, of the Carmelite Studies, right? Mm -hmm. So what came first, the Institute or the publication? Well, yeah, so the Institute was founded uh, many decades ago as sort of a, a way for the friars in our province to collaborate on, on study. Um, you know, the Discalced Carmelite Friars, um, many people aren't familiar with us, but they know our, they know our, our holier and, and just all around better uh, sisters and uh, the cloistered Discalced Carmelite nuns. Uh, but the friars, we've had, we've always had since the, our foundation, foundation by St. Teresa, we've had kind of an active aspect to our life and, um, how this sometimes manifests in the life of individual friars is different, but in one way that it happened in the United States was through, uh, doing scholarly work and translations into contemporary English of, uh, some of the writings of the saints, of our saints and, and study of those writings as well. So the Institute was founded as sort of a way for the friars who lived in different monasteries within our province to collaborate in that effort to study and to um, use the fruits of that study to 
enrich the life of the church and to share uh, the teachings and charism of our saints. And, and so the publishing house was a natural sort of effect of that. You know, if we're collaborating in, in study and academic work, then what do we do with it? How do we share that with the church? Um, you know, all charism is oriented towards the building up of the church. And so if this is a part of our charism, then how do we use it to build up the church? And so getting those writings out there was the next step. Uh, two of our friars, Father Kieran and Father Otilio, uh, had worked in translating the collected works of St. John of the Cross, uh, one, of our, one of our founders who was a collaborator with St. Teresa of Avila. And uh, they had this published by Doubleday, a big publishing house in the United States. And they found out after a couple of years that Doubleday wasn't going to uh, continue the, the printing of, of this translation. And so uh, Father Kieran and Father Otilio, they, they acquired the rights back to that translation and um, decided that, well, we'll publish it ourselves. <laughs> and so with the help of uh, some of our monasteries of nuns who helped us to finance this undertaking with capital, we were able to create a publishing house. And, uh, and that was 50 years ago this year. So this is our 50th anniversary as a publishing house. And uh, we've grown quite a bit. We've got uh, the, the English translations of the writings of most of our saints who were uh, authors. And that's a, that's a big part of the Discalce Carmelite history is a lot of our saints wrote things down. You know, three of our saints are doctors of the church. Sharing their writings with the church is, is important, and uh, the church, you know, demands it <laughs> yeah. by the fact that they're doctors. So that's kind of how we got started. And, you know, 50 years later, we're, we're continuing that work. A recent uh, writing saint was St. Teresa Benedict of the Cross or St. Edith Stein. And uh, we're inaugurating this year um, kind of a, a, a new, new set of translations uh, based on the German critical editions of her writing, St. Edith Stein. Um, and so... We continue to translate today. Uh, we continue to, to bring out new works uh, to this day. And, uh, and also, you know, just commentaries, contemporary commentaries on the writings of the saints, you know, reading St. Teresa or St. John of the Cross, you know, who lived 500 years ago can be difficult. So mm -hmm. we try to, you know, create some study guides, commentaries, books that will help people to understand the context and the time in which they lived. They can better understand their desire, which was, well, first Teresa explicitly that that friendship with God that I alluded to. And when you mean publishing house, you guys actually like print the books yourselves, and it, all that that comes around that. So we utilize you know commercial printers for the actual for printing the actual. and binding, um, but the publishing house is is engaged mostly in the editorial work, the translation, uh, working with authors working with um, translators and, and kind of doing the, the, the nitty-gritty work of, of, of creating a book from a Word document. Really, that's where most of it begins. Yeah, that's how it begins. <laughs> a manuscript, that'd probably be a, a more uh, a term that, that has existed since our foundation. <laughs> and, and talking about your foundation, you mentioned the, the origins as part of the, the Carmelite order, mm -hmm. right? And you mentioned that most people know of the Carmelites, not so much of the friars. Right. But for those that don't know a lot about the Carmelites, can you give us a little background? Yes. Yeah, so the Carmelites were founded way back in the Middle Ages during the Third Crusade. The Third Crusade was interesting because it was one of the few that ended in, in peace, or at least in a truce. And so all of these, these 
crusaders and pilgrims who had gone to the Holy Land, uh, not expecting to return to, to their homes in Europe, you know, were suddenly uh, alive and well. And so there was a movement at the close of that crusade for the beginnings of religious life in the Holy Land. And so that's how we first got started uh, as hermits living on Mount Carmel in community. Uh, but the third crusade, of course, wasn't the last crusade. And uh, the situation for them became dangerous after a number of years. And so they went back to where they came from, their homes in, in France and in England and Italy, joined what was going on in Europe at the time, which was the mendicant movement. So the Franciscans, the Dominicans. And so they became, they became friars. And uh, after several hundred years of being you know, friars, uh, there was uh, a little sort of mediocre Carmelite nun named uh, Teresa, and um, God put into her heart a great desire to, to live more authentically her religious vocation. And so she had kind of that entrepreneurial spirit, and she, uh, she started, she just figured she was going to do it herself. And so she started her own monastery in Avila, Spain. Okay. And uh, from there, the, the discalced Carmelite order was born, uh, and she enlisted the help of, of her great collaborator, St. John of the Cross, to help. He, he was, well, he was the first friar, really, the first discalced Carmelite friar. Okay. So enlisted his help, and, and uh, the rest is history. So we've, we've uh, been around for uh, about 450 years at this point. And so she's, she's originally from Spain. That's right. Right. And then so is St. John of the Cross. Mm-hmm. Okay. So a lot of her work is in Spanish. So you do a lot of translation from Spanish to English? Yeah, that was the, the first work that we had to do was the, well, first with St. John of the Cross, a uh, very, very uh, uh, brilliant, uh, you know, we most, not most, but a lot of uh, the books that we sell of his, of the translation of his writings are actually bought by secular universities who are studying his poetry because he's considered to be one of the greatest poets of the Spanish language. And, and so, um, you know, that was where we, where we began with, and then shortly after began the work of uh, Father Kieran and Father Otilio began translating the writings of St. Teresa. And then we had a uh, Canadian friar who was a part of our province who uh, knew, grew up in Montreal and uh, knew French. And so he, he began on the works of our third doctor of the church in the Cardiscalce Carmelite Order, which is St. Therese of Lisieux. Uh, she lived at the end of the 19th century. And uh, is is a, a beautiful writer, and so he began the work of translating her writings from uh, the original manuscripts into English from French. From French, okay. Yeah. And you keep using the word province. What do you mean exactly by that? Yeah. So most religious orders, particularly the mendicant religious orders, are are uh, governed by a, a, a sort of a head a head person, head honcho in Rome. Yeah. And then from there, like dioceses, like the church is broken up into dioceses, the religious orders are broken up into provinces around the world. And so we're one of three provinces in the United States. Um, the different provinces are, are also tasked with kind of the work that we, we do, you know, of, of publishing. So our, our province was uh, given the task of, of publishing the writings of the Carmelite saints in English. And so our, our translations and books make it all over the English-speaking world from United States and Canada to Australia, the UK, New Zealand, uh, and even even uh, there's a lot of English readers in the Scandinavian countries, which is always interesting to see when we get an order from Iceland or or someplace exotic like that. <laughs> That's pretty cool. 
Yeah. That's pretty cool. Hey, when we first met, you know, I reached out and we we um, we jumped on a Zoom to discuss what this would look like. You you mentioned that you were doing some German also, you right? You translated yeah. in German? Yeah, so I'm actually getting a master's degree in, in German translation. And so I'll be working. Um, I'm actually started, I've already begun working on, on some translations of uh, St. Teresa Benedict of the Cross, who's also known in life as St. Edith Stein. Uh, she was a philosopher before she became a nun. And before she was a philosopher, she was, she was born Jewish. And, um, and this was in the early 20th century in Germany. And so uh, she con converted to Catholicism about 100 years ago, in 1921, and uh, spoke at, at Catholic conferences around the German-speaking world, um, was, was a professor of, of philosophy, uh, was one of the first women in Germany to, to get her PhD in, in philosophy. And uh, in 1933, she actually had a position as a professor of, uh, at a pedagogical institute in Munster. And uh, because it was a state-run institution in 1933, when uh, the Nazis rose to power, she was fired for her Jewish heritage. And uh, it, it was an opportunity for her because she, she, ever, ever since she had become Catholic, she'd always wanted and felt called to religious life. And so she entered the Discalced Carmelite Monastery in Cologne and lived there for a number of years until uh, things started really heating up with the Jewish persecution. Uh, by the Nazis, and so she she moved to Holland, uh, but ultimately the uh, persecution against the Jews and the Holocaust would extend even to there. And in 1942, she was arrested and sent to Auschwitz, where she was martyred. Um, and we say that she was martyred not for oh, I mean, the immediate effect was that she was Jewish in Nazi Germany, but at the time, the Dutch bishops, she was living in the Netherlands, had um, retaliated against the persecution against the Jews. And in retaliation against that, the Nazis, uh, who had sort of uh, allowed for the non-deportation of, of Catholic converts from Judaism, retaliation, then arrested all of those uh, Catholic converts. And so she was rounded up in that uh, deportation and ultimately execution. Um, and so because of the the manner in which she died as a result of the defense by the Dutch bishop, she's considered to be a martyr in the church. And uh, she was canonized in the late 90s by St. Pope John Paul II. So fascinating life. And uh, and she was a great writer. And so she, it's, it's really a, a, a joy and a privilege to be working with her writing in texts and translating that into English. And it's a, it's a tall task too, because she was a translator herself. So I know that she's, she's interceding for me in heaven, but she's probably, I, I hope that she's, she's helping me in, in that task of, of a translator, one translator to another. I'm sure she was uh, much better than I will ever be. <laughs> <laughs> and do you yourself have to know German well in order for you to translate? I, I'm not sure that the criteria of a translator. Yeah, so the translators that we, for instance, we look for uh, in our in our own publishing are are those who are who are um, kind of uh, linguistic and cultural experts in two languages. The, yes. the their their native language that they're translating into. And that's usually the the ideal is you you translate into your native language, and uh, a relative expert in the language and culture of the language that you're translating from. Uh, and so uh, I always say that. That I can I can get by in Germany, although yeah. most Germans okay. speak a lot of English. 
Um, but uh, my my sort of expertise is in is in comprehension, so listening and 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 uh, and reading mostly. It's difficult to go from to go from English into a in, from your native language into a non-native language. It's a little bit easier and less intense to to go from to go from uh, a non-native language into your native language. So it's interesting. That's pretty cool. So you guys do, I guess the 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 friars do some of the translation, and then you guys work with others outside of are they all theologians or are they are just or they're regular people there's experts in language how does that look like yeah so uh we've we've had nuns uh, discuss common nuns translate uh some of our some of our collected works uh, i'm thinking of um saint elizabeth of the trinity she's another one of our heavy hitter authors not well known she was recently canonized um by, by pope francis actually and uh, she lived in france in the early 20th century late 19th century and uh, we had an, uh, a nun work on translating one of her volumes, and so um, and then we also use lay translators, particularly in in uh, in, in languages with that. Uh, well, well, we don't have the time to do it ourselves because we also are involved in ministry. <laughs> I feel you hundred percent. So tell me about the social media presence because that's how I first encountered. It. As I was uploading videos and you know learning what's out there, I stumbled upon upon the institute. So how yeah, did it start? So- yeah, so back in, in uh, I think it was 2019, um, a bro- a brother John Marriott and myself were at the, the Focus Conference in Indianapolis, and we saw that they were doing live podcasting in the uh, in Mission Way, which is the big exposition area, uh, exhibition area rather, where where all of the vendors and sponsors have booths and things like that. And, and we, we saw these podcasters doing Catholic podcasts, and we said, we could do that. That's not, that can't be that hard. Little did we know how much it is involved <laughs> in it. Um, but it really kind of flows from, from the, the desire in our mission, right. To, to, to promote, to share the writings of, of the Discalced Carmelite saints. And so we have a tradition that's very literary in nature. It's one that's, you know, goes hand in hand with books. Um, but I, I think, you know, just looking around, you can look around YouTube. There's this phenomenon also called book talk, uh, from TikTok where people are talking about books and social media. And so it's really the, the, the latest way that, that we can share with one another um, the fruits of, of what we're discovering through our love of reading. And, and Catholics, I think, inherently have and, and should have a love of reading uh, because our tradition is so rich and there's so much to read. You know, in, in the church even gives us this, this reading list of, of, uh, of 30-something uh, doctors of the church to help us, to, to guide us in what we should be reading. And, um, and, and, and giving us the faithful uh, opportunities to, to discover more and to learn more about our faith. And so that was kind of the, the, the rationale, I guess you could say, about, about starting a, a podcast. And so we do that on, on, on YouTube but we, as well as an audio, audio only uh, for all of our episodes. And, and so that's kind of how we got started. And it's been a learning process along the way. And so we do seasons. So we don't, we don't publish every week a new podcast, but we'll do like um, two to three seasons a year. And each season will be like seven episodes, each coming out one week after the next. And, uh, and we usually thematize those seasons. So the last one we did was um, just ended in January. And uh, it was to celebrate, the last episode was, was to celebrate the 150th birthday of St. Therese of Lisieux. Uh, she was born 150 years ago on January 2nd. And so yeah. the, this latest season has kind of been um, talking about her writings 
and and uh, to kind of commemorate her and to sort of inaugurate this this jubilee year in her honor. Uh, it's really interesting that United Nations actually declared her a World Heritage Person for 2023. Look at that because of her contributions to humanity. So wow, if you if you are not only a saint but uh, contribute in such a way to humanity, you could also be a UNESCO a heritage person. <laughs> But I think I'd rather I'd rather strive for uh, for for holiness and sanctity. <laughs> <laughs> but that's also congratulations and happy birthday. Yes, happy birthday, Saint Therese, and she's and she's uh, an incredible uh, spiritual writer and uh, and probably the most unexpected of the doctors of the church. Right? She was uh, she was only the third woman to be declared a doctor, and she died at twenty four. Uh, so she. She, wow. she is definitely, she is by far the youngest of, of, uh, the doctors. And so what she was able to accomplish in, in elucidating the mystery of our faith at such a young age. And, and so the, the basis of her writing and spirituality is, is, is all about doing great things, doing, sorry, doing little things with great love. You know, she was a, she was a cloistered nun living in a, in the middle of nowhere, France in Normandy. And, uh, she had a great desire. To, to be a great saint, but she, she was cloistered, a cloistered nun. And so she said, well, I know what I'll do. I'll, I'll do little things, but I'll do them with the love of a great saint. And so that's the basis of, of her spirituality, and her, her uh, heroic trust and confidence in God is another aspect of, of her spirituality that uh, the church highlights for us in, in, in selecting her as a doctor. It's amazing how, um, the perspective to me comes when you you learn about the ages of yeah. these of, like in this case Teresa's age of twenty four when she died and all they have accomplished and and even like sometimes some of the lieutenants or like in the Civil War they're like they're some of them they're kids mm-hmm. right because twenty four year olds right now are kids right right um it's impressive when you put that in perspective so I'm thirty five and I'm like, man, I cannot imagine leading battalions when I was twenty or right. or or accomplishing what St. Therese has done when I was twenty four. Right. It's impressive. Yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah. Are there any inspirational, I guess, sayings or messages from St. Therese that have inspired you? Well, I think her most famous quote, uh for me, oh, I think it's her most famous quote, but it's, I think it one that expresses kind of the fruit, the, well, the, the kernel of her spirituality, which is, which is even though we, we might not have uh, every opportunity that say someone like uh, St. Francis Xavier, you know, Jesuit, Jesuit who goes to, to the far East and baptizes tens of thousands of people, you know, we don't always, we don't all have that opportunity or, or those gifts, right? To be to be great, to be great, you know, missionary saints, and and we're not all called to something like martyrdom, you know, to witness to our faith through uh, dying for it. Um, and so this is this is something that 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 really struck Saint Therese, and 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 this quote sort of encapsulates how she uh, how she sort of solved that problem of of not necessarily having the opportunities that that some of the greatest saints that we know of may have had in their lifetime. So this comes from uh, chapter nine of, of her autobiography, The Story of a Soul, uh, in, in a section that we call Manuscript B, which is a section that she wrote in particular for her blood sister, who was also in the monastery of Lisieux with her. So there, there was actually, there was actually uh, uh, 
uh, four sisters, four blood sisters, the four Martin sisters all lived in the same Carmel of Lisieux. Yeah. And, and Therese was the youngest. And so, wow. uh, at this point she's, she's dying from tuberculosis. Um, and her sister, her sisters realize after having read the first couple chapters of her autobiography that, that they have a saint on their hands. She was sort of a hidden saint to them. They didn't really realize it until, until they began sort of reading the explications of her heart. And so they started asking her for more. And so this comes, this, this passage comes as, as sort of a, a fruit of that asking, asking for more. She writes, I understood that if the church had a body composed of different members, the most necessary and most noble of all could not be lacking to it. And so I understood that the church had a heart, that this heart was burning with love. I understood it was love alone that made the church's members act. That if love ever became extinct, apostles would not preach the gospel and martyrs would not shed their blood. I understood that love comprised all vocations, that love was everything, that it embraced all times and places. In a word, that it was eternal. Then in the excess of my delirious joy, I cried out, O Jesus, my love, my vocation, at last I have found it. My vocation is love. And so she's speaking, she's speaking of this desire she has to be a saint. And, and she knows that there's, there's priests, there's missionaries, there's, there's, there's apostles, there's martyrs who all make up the body of the church. And she understands that God isn't calling her to those vocations. But she also recognizes that if the church is the body of Christ and the body has different members, the head, the heart, the arms, the hands, the feet, that her desire, she finally finds the words for it, her desire, her vocation, her place in the body of Christ is to be the heart, to be the place where, where love is present, where love is happening. And then from this heart, all of the blood, all of the love mm -hmm. pours to the other members. And so in that way, her vocation is to support the church by pumping that love into all of its members. And, and, and so it's just, it's just a beautiful uh, discovery that she makes uh, concerning the nature of a vocation and that, uh, that God does not put desires into our heart unless he has a purpose for them. And even if you're a cloistered nun, right, mm. your, your apostolic, uh, the effects of the apostolic effects of your contemplative life, your hidden life is very great. You know, it, 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 it powers, it's the powerhouse, right? It's, 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 it's delivering, it's delivering the nutrients, uh, to, to all of, all of those who are doing the, the, the hands and feet stuff in the church, right? Yeah. So she wanted to be as close as possible to the source of the love. Yeah. And she wanted to be it, right? She wanted, she actually wanted to be it, <laughs> not just close to it. She wanted to be, she wanted to be that heart. Uh, not to say that she was the only one, obviously, but, uh, but that's, that was her, that was her desire. Amazing. Thank you for sharing that with us. And I feel like I have to ask, what is your journey to, to, to the Carmelites, to the friars, to, to, to the, to the, what called you to this mission? Yeah. 
So I'm actually a convert. Um, I was, I was baptized, uh, Anglican Episcopal and, uh, and my family eventually became uh, Catholic, but at a time when I was, was, uh, not necessarily interested in that. And so I, I had to discover Catholicism a little bit later in life. And, uh, I was, I was working in, I was in college uh, doing a summer internship at, uh, in Houston, Texas. And, um, kind of had the opportunity for the first time in a long time to really spend a lot of time alone. You know, none of my friends were in the area. And so I had, I had a lot of alone time and through that was some introspection and, and seeing where my life was going and being disappointed in that and, and wanting to kind of change courses, directions in my life. And so I was 20 years old sitting in a dorm room, you know, in Houston, Texas and, um, you know, went to a, a bookstore, a used bookstore and, uh, you know, I was looking in the, in the religion section and the philosophy section, and I came across a book, uh, that, that, that profoundly changed my life. Uh, it was a very appropriate book for me. It was called Catholicism for Dummies. <laughs> and my mom and my mom having become Catholic, uh, when I was, when I was younger, uh-huh. it, you know, it was sort of the, the seed in that. And so as well, if, if I'm going to, I'm going to believe in God. I had an understanding that God existed, God exists, and um, well, I have to see what, what my mom believes. And so I got to uh, the section of that book on the real presence of Jesus in the Eucharist, and mm-hmm. I was convicted with that. That's what I need. That's what I need. I need Jesus. <laughs> I need to receive him. And so I, I started the process of, of uh, becoming Catholic, I was confirmed at 21 with a bunch of high school students. So it was, it was 150 high school students and me, a 21 year old. Um, and, uh, and, you know, from there, everything happened really quickly. Uh, the, the desire in my heart was, was such that I knew that I wanted to give everything that I could. And I continue to, to strive for that. I haven't, I haven't reached it yet, <laughs> but, uh, you know, part of that desire was, was, uh, how I understood that desire was, was through you know, potentially priesthood or as a missionary and uh, through a very wise priest who was now a bishop he, he encouraged me to to give uh, seminary a shot and so uh, not even not even confirmed a year I, I went to seminary <laughs> and uh, grew a heck of a lot wow but you know in that in that experience of, of going to the Dawson seminary discovered religious life and uh, First encountered the writings of Saint Therese, and then I, I I loved that, and so started reading Saint Teresa. I loved that even more, and so uh, I I started looking into the, the Carmelites as a religious order, religious community, and, and made my visit here. I entered in 2014, and uh, I've been I've been a Carmelite ever since. Ordained a priest uh, in 2021, so just just over a year and a half ago. Uh, oh wow. So- yeah, I'm a that's, relatively new priest. <laughs> wow, that's like right around the corner. Okay, well, congratulations. Oh, thank you. That's well, I don't. I, God did most of it, so. <laughs> <laughs> but that's awesome. Mm-hmm. Like you mentioned the the Eucharist when you were reading the Catholic um, Catholic for Dummies. Yeah. What exactly about the Eucharist? Um, I guess called you the most, or, um, or lack for a better word, or what uh, drawed you to the concept of the Eucharist the most? I mean, it really was that, that aspect that was really driven home in that, in that book uh, about the real presence, that it that truly is the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ. And if, if we're seeking something 
greater than, than what is apparent in the natural world and is greater than, than what's provided to us in secular society. Uh, what else, what else could we want besides God himself and, and to be able to receive that? Uh, I, I think was what really struck, struck the chord in my heart. And, uh, and so after you, as soon as I knew about it, I wanted it, right. <laughs> that's kind of how it went. <laughs> yeah. And we, how do you prepare yourself to receive communion? Well, it's funny this week I have the 6am mass. So it's, <laughs> it's, nice. it's, a, it's not always easy, you know, to prepare, to prepare yourself, to, especially that early in the morning. Um, fair. I, I think it's, it's out of a, a, out of a place, honestly, of, of, uh, of desperation. Um, and in particular in the words that we, that we recite together as a community before we receive it's, Lord, I'm not worthy <clears> that <throat> you should enter into my roof, but only say the word and my soul shall be healed. And, and it's so, it's so that I'm not, it's, it's, it's a recognition. I'm not prepared. Uh, I'll never be, I'll never be as prepared as I should be to receive what I'm about to receive. Uh, but, but, you know, do the, do the work so that I, so that I can be worthy. And that's a lifelong process, you know, the, the process of conversion. Um, and, and it's not just that initial conversion to the faith or, 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 uh, maybe even a reversion, but it's, it's, it's every day. And so how do we prepare to receive the Eucharist? We have to, we have to acknowledge that we're not there yet. And that's why we receive because we need it in order to get to where God wants us to be. I, I think that's what's essential about, about the Eucharist and receiving the Eucharist is that understanding that, that this is what I need to, 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 to have in my life in order, in order to, to fulfill the desires that God's placed into my heart. I, I ask because then sometimes I find myself, you know, distracted. I, mean, I, I, I go to, I'm blessed with a daily mass, so I, I go. And sometimes I find myself, my mind is distracted when I'm in that line. So yeah. I, in honor of the Eucharistic revival that we're trying to do, I'm, I'm like, how can I focus more on the Eucharist and receiving it and what that means so I can eventually, you know, share with, with, uh, with my brothers and sisters in Christ. You know, yeah. I'm part of a couple of groups here and, having to have that conversation. How are we, how are we, where is our minds when we are about to receive communion? Is, yeah. Am I thinking about dinner that I'm going to make <laughs> or am I thinking about what I receive? I was just curious. Um, and just to, just to speak into that, you know, aside from, aside from, from formal separation from God through, through, you know, mortal sin and, and grave sin, it, it, it's, 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 um, you know, you know, this, this is, this is why we're, we're receiving in order, in order to be purified, in order to be, in order to, to, to go from, from, from good to better. Uh, this is, this is, it's a, it's, we're a work in progress and that work is a work of grace. And, and so, you know, um, you know, St. John of the Cross has a lot to say about this. So I won't go to get in too much into that, but it's, 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 a, it's a, it's a sense that we, that we, that we all need it. And, and that's, and also to say that, you know, God can work with it. You can work with very little. <laughs> so <laughs> uh, that, that's good to know. <laughs> no, this has been Father, this has been great. Uh, how can we find how can we find you guys? I mean, obviously I'll share everything on the show notes and on the tags and everything. But how can we find you? 
Yeah, so our website is icspublications.org, uh, where we, you can find you know all of our books, translations of the writings of the Discalced Carmelites. The, they're authorized, the only authorized translations from the Discalced Carmelite Order are our translations. And uh, you can learn more about that and about us there. And then uh, ICS Publications is our handle for most things. So YouTube, um, Facebook, uh, Instagram, all those things, ICS Publications. So super. Father, again, this has been amazing. Thank you for sharing the background of the Institute, the, the publication, the, the Carmelite Order, the Friars, your story, you know? Yeah, my pleasure. It's been it's been wonderful and, uh, and and look forward to talking again soon same thank you god bless you <laughs>